0: Signpost In Podcast, a space at life's crossroads for a refreshing pause and a bit of reflection. My name is Brandon, and I'm really glad you're here. I invite you to join me and my friends, Matt and Peter, for a friendly back porch conversation about prayer, Christian spirituality, faithful theology, and much more. So pull up a chair, grab a drink, and get comfortable as we start today's show. And when we're done, don't forget to visit us at signpostin.org to find out more about all that our ministry offers. Well welcome everybody to The Back Porch. My guest today is Father John Gavin, who is an Associate Professor of Religious Studies at the College of Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts. Father Gavin earned his BA from Boston College, his MA from Fordham University, and his MDiv from the Jesuit School of Theology in Berkeley. He received his Sacred Theology doctorate in Rome and was a lecturer at the Pontifical Biblical Institute and the Gregorian University for three years. Father Gavin entered the Society of Jesus in 1991 and was ordained a Catholic priest in 2002. He's the author of several books, including They Are Like the Angels in the Heavens, Angelology and Anthropology in the Thought of Maximus the Confessor, and A Celtic Christology, the Incarnation, According to John Scotus Eugena, and his most recent book, I believe, which we're going to be talking about today, titled Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, Wisdom from the Early Church. Father Gavin, thank you for being here on the back porch with me today. It's really a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me. First off, I have to say on air, as I told you kind of before we got started, that it was kind of a delight for me to discover that you're in Worcester, Massachusetts. My wife grew up just a few miles down the road from there, and I have a lot of fond memories of being engaged and newly married and kind of exploring that area. Being from out here in the West, boy, Massachusetts is a whole different Whole different world, <laughs> so, <laughs> and also that uh, my wife attended the Trivium School in uh, Lancaster, there or Lancaster. I always, I was just in Pennsylvania, and they got really mad at me for saying that wrong. So, <laughs> yeah,
1: you got you did well the first time, is it? Uh, okay.
0: Um. Anyway, it's really kind of cool that that I didn't even know there were some connections there. But uh, I literally just oh. picked your book up off of Amazon because I was interested in the Lord's Prayer and. It popped up, I picked it up, and have loved it, just kind of devoured reading it. So thank you for writing it. I'd like to start there and ask you, just tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wrote this particular book.
1: Sure. Well, I guess you gave some basic back, background about my life there, but as far as the prayer, of course, you know, I grew up in a very uh, blessed and a very devout household, I'm the oldest of eight kids, and we... Of course, regularly prayed together as a family. We were very active in our parish, and that was just a great formative blessing in my life. But as as you know, we all pray the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis, either individually or communally. For us, Catholics is regularly part of the liturgy, or we pray it with the rosary or in many other circumstances, And I have to say, growing up with the prayer, as so many things in life, it does become kind of rote. You're just, you're just doing it. And uh, sure, even when you hear it read in the scriptures, oh, wow, okay, here it is. It just became part of almost, you know, just part of our regular prayer, but it just, it, it kind of lost its sense for us. And for me, I guess I should say. And a real changing moment for me happened after i first entered the jesuits and began my formation part of our regular prayer was and still is uh praying the liturgy of the hours so we pray all 150 psalms in this case over a four-week cycle there are also extensive scripture readings and it always concludes with the our father but it also includes a part called the Office of Readings, which are two readings, usually a longer passage from the scriptures, and then an accompanying passage from what one of the fathers of the church, generally, mm-hmm. from the ancient writings. And among those writings that come up on a regular basis are St. Cyprian of Carthage's Commentary on the Lord's Prayer. And then also one of Augustine of Hippo's commentaries on the Lord's Prayer from the, one of his letters, the so-called letter to Proba. And I was reading these writings on the Lord's Prayer and what these uh, saints were saying about it. And they, they suddenly, it, it just blew my mind, it exploded for me because suddenly the prayer became, and I use this word, in the, I'll explain it in a moment, but it, it became strange to me right i mean i am reading and it's like wow i never thought of this before or really mm-hmm. am, what am i saying when i pray our father what does this actually mean and they suddenly made me stop and look at it with fresh eyes and realize wow this this prayer is i'll say this it's explosive in in the spiritual life and what it's saying what our lord has given to us and they opened me up to that and so i've i've had a long interest in their perspectives in the prayer. And so, in preparing this book, my area of specialty is early Christianity, the Fathers of the Church. And so I really looked at many of the early commentaries on the Lord's Prayer to see how that would further develop and change how I read it, but also to to open me to the to really kind of the explosive nature of God's word in just in these two prayers that we pray so often.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's cool. My early church stuff is sort of a hobby and fun part for me as well. And so Cyprian's work and Augustine's letter to Prober were actually actually two of the first things that I kind of dug into that got me on the track. And it's part of the reason I searched your book and probably why it popped up because I've been searching those things. But I have a question about the you call it the mysteries. Just a real clarification question, I think more than anything else that just occurred to me. Is that your is dividing up the prayer into mystery something that you brought to this or is that does that have a tradition in the church how did how did you get to that
1: well i should maybe even start with this maybe just say something about the idea of mystery i mean i think today we think of mystery as in like sherlock holmes and there's you know there's something i've got to solve here this kind of thing but When we look at the word in Greek, mysterion, what are we really talking about? I mean, a mysterion is something that is hidden depths below the surface, Mm. right? And so what we're saying here, when we look especially at the early readers and expositors of the scriptures, this refers to looking into the greater spiritual depths of God's word. I mean, they, they make the distinction, as you know, between the, the literal and the spiritual sense mm-hmm. that there is the, the letter, the surface level, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans is the, addressing particular problems in the Roman mm-hmm. Christian community and that time and so on. And yet, when we talk about the mysteries here, we're talking about because this is God's word, inspired word, there are depths that speak to every Christian and every Christian community in every time and place. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we're looking at the mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, it means that or anywhere in the scripture, we go back to the scriptures as individuals, as communities in reflective reading and prayer to discover and rediscover the depths and the new depths that are speaking to us from God, right? So when we talk about uh, this tradition of kind of breaking up the prayer, we do see that regularly in the fathers of the church. They're not all going to do it the same way. There's different ways of structuring the prayer or looking at the prayer. They don't all look at the same questions but they all do approach the Lord's Prayer as they do all the scriptures, as those who are reading the prayer in God's presence, in God's spirit, and that they are looking not simply at the surface level, but letting the spirit guide them into the depths, into the mysteries that will, that will come into their lives. And especially, I think that we could say they're all pastors, these writers, for their community as well.
0: Yeah. I think that kind of answers the question that I had sent to you earlier of the, I think some people listening in my audience would be a little thrown off by that word mystery. Sure. Pro- sure. A lot of people be- are, yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's more in terms of, it, it's a mysterious thing like Sherlock Holmes, there's something hidden here that that I have to unlock in some other special way. But if I'm hearing you right, it's more like, you're not using the term mystery, like the prayer's not a clear prayer and doesn't have a clear mm-hmm. meaning. It's more like, mm-hmm. There's, there is more meaning to it than we might at first notice if we just do a cursory reading. And there's actually meaning that stretches across time and across people.
1: Right. No, I think, I think that's very well put. Right. Because, uh, again, we're, if we're talking about, you know, they, they don't read the, the scriptures as they would read the Iliad and the Odyssey or, and kind of parse it down into little pieces. For them, uh, this is this this is alive, right? Mm-hmm. And hence, because this is an encounter with God in reading and praying with the Scriptures, it's it's an inexhaustible encounter, right? I mean, I can't mm-hmm. I can't put God in the box when I have that meeting, and so in that that's what they're talking about. They'll talk about the mystery of the Scriptures and what they're talking about really is the depths that come from this encounter with god in in god's word
0: mm-hmm. yeah so with the lord's prayer in particular reading it i think as a kid or in, in a, growing up thinking that it was just a you know i was taught at a, a young age that it was just sort of a prescription for how to pray it was just a here's a pattern mm-hmm. and i'm not saying right. that's wrong i think it is but now in this time, time of my life, learning that there's as what you're saying, that God is actually speaking presently in the prayer. It's not merely didactic. It's not merely a pray in this form. But goodness gracious, and when I can when I pray the Lord's prayer, I'm speaking God's own words back to him in a really important way. And like there's a living and active relationship happening there, which is pretty I don't know. I don't know what else to say that other than just to say that and be like, "That's amazing." <laughs> so
1: no, no, I, I I fully agree with you there. I mean, it is true. That, I mean, are in both versions that we have of the prayer. I mean, Jesus tells us, you know, this is how you are to pray. It doesn't say like these exact words. So, so you're right. It, it it is in a way a a pattern of prayer that we are to imitate, but at the same time, as we see, it has become because it is you know Christ's own words it has become a prayer unto itself that unfolds its depths in our lives as we pray it we want to be conscious of that yeah
0: yeah yeah and you you touched on that that idea that there are two versions of it and i think a lot of people are surprised to find that out that sure sure the the version i have in my liturgy or the version i learned as a kid isn't directly found in scripture So can you say a little bit about that? How do you account for those differences? Is it okay for me to keep saying the version I know? (laughs) Does that make sense?
1: Sure, no, no, absolutely. No, you're right. I mean, a lot of people are surprised when, especially when when the version from Luke comes up in our lectionary and readings, people are like, there's something wrong with that version, like something. And yes, there are two versions and we can go to Matthew's version in chapter six or Luke's version in 11. And we see there are a number of differences. I mean, I won't say them all here, but I mean, some of the striking ones immediately, Luke doesn't have our, so it just starts with father. It, uh, you know, there's nothing about your will be done in Luke's version. Uh, We have differences in verb tenses, and there there are many other things. I mean, a couple of things to think about when we look at the two versions. I mean, one, of course, is these are Greek versions, are Christ's Obviously, own words would have been in, in scholars debated about this Aramaic, or perhaps some argue he was even as he is teaching maybe using an elevated form of Hebrew, it's a possibility. Uh, whatever the case, we are receiving Greek versions of his own words, obviously divinely inspired, so we can rest assured in these but, but nonetheless, there's going to be always that certain level where we have to say, okay, what what is what's the Aramaic here? And then what we usually see, even among the, the among the fathers of the church, the real one who starts asking questions about it is theologian Origin of Alexandria, who lived in the second third centuries. But he proposes that, in fact, both versions were given on different occasions. They are, in fact, if you look at the two occasions, one comes from what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the other is an occasion where Jesus is asked to show or teach his disciples how to pray, as John's disciples did. So it could be two different occasions with two different versions. Modern scholars generally propose that one version is transmitted to a Jewish community, Matthew's and Luke's, to perhaps a Gentile community. One of the reasons, for instance, they say that is because, forgive us our debts, the metaphor of debt for sin is one that would be well known to a Jewish audience. I mean, and we can go back to the, the, the Old Testament and see examples of that whereas perhaps for a gentile community it wouldn't be as obvious so luke concludes both debts and the word sin
0: mm. so
1: is he is he is he giving them a bridge in order to understand what what that metaphor means so mm. some propose that but i think what we do see in terms of the version that we get is that this unit of scripture becomes obviously a, a unit in and of itself that we pray and it enters into the communal prayer life of the church. So for instance, I have the version in my book, one of the earliest versions, extra biblical versions that we have really is from a document called the Didache, which is a collection of principles and guidances for an early church community. Some say as early as the end of the first century, early second. And it's a version that is closest to Matthews, probably, but not exactly both. It includes the doxology at the end of it, which you know so many Christians now include. And what it demonstrates, it also, Christians are advised to pray it three times a day. It has clearly become part of the ry- rhythm of Christian prayer. So I think the version that we receive is grounded in the scriptures, but then also grounded in the prayer life of the church, communal and individual. And so that is that is what we receive. And I think that's you know, obviously when we start getting into our modern translations, then there are all kinds of other things that come up. But what we're receiving though is at its heart from the scriptures, but at the same time, it's the spirit in the life of the church, in the communal prayer and individual prayer of all Christians for centuries.
0: I don't I don't want to go way off base, but am I correct, or at least somewhat correct in hearing what you're saying is the version that I know well is actually Jesus's prayer, hmm. though it may not be, obviously he didn't pray in English, but it may not be hmm. exactly the, the one that he taught on any particular occasion, but it's almost like we know this is what Jesus prayed when the disciples asked hmm. what teach us to pray. These are the things that he taught his disciples to pray. Even if it's not in exactly the s- exact form that we have, that we use every day.
1: Absolutely. No, I, I would say absolutely. I think we we can rest assured of that. I mean, I think, you know, obviously we could, we could go for a decision and say we will all, you know, we'll pray Matthew's version or we'll pray Luke's version. But even then it's like, you're losing something here if you just, you know, or maybe we'll alternate versions or something like that. But I think what we see in the life of the church in its reflection and prayer with the scriptures is this handing on generation to generation of this prayer, come to life. Not that it's alive in God's word, but I mean, coming to life though also in the prayer life of the community and so yes these are jesus's words alive in the life of the church communally and personally
0: yeah and i think there's something to the what this is making me think of is at some point in my history I, i realized that the stuff for example that paul teaches in romans you know or john probably obvious to everybody except for me but those were jesus's things They weren't like coming up with this on their own, even though I can't find it in Matthew or John, the gospel, John was teaching what Jesus taught. And so Mm -hmm. I think I'm hearing that kind of same thing here is I may have a version that the church has been using and kind of taking from what Jesus put together and they're putting it together in one form. But these are things that Jesus taught. I mean, this isn't nobody's coming up with a prayer all by themselves and saying, oh, Jesus said this.
1: No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think we also have to remember, I mean, we, you know, we hear John himself, you know, there's so much of what Jesus taught and said that it can't be contained in all these books. And so I think we can be confident, you know, obviously, Paul and, you know, divinely inspired. It's that these things are not being like created out of whole cloth by Paul. This is this is this is Christ. I mean, this is Christ. And the same thing with this prayer in the, in the, in the life of the church. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I've kind of, so I had this one just question for you, which is why is it so important to reflect on the Lord's prayer? Perhaps we've already answered that, <laughs> but <laughs> I I kind of want to give you an opportunity to, to talk about that if there's something more to be said there.
1: Sure. I, well, I mean, I would, I would say this, I mean, the, the, and again, I'm going back just because the book of the earliest, uh, you know, writers on the prayer and prayers of the prayer, uh, you know, that the Lord's prayer is a compendium of the gospels. And as I think you also were in question, the Christian life, right? So that when we pray this, we are being formed by it, or we should be formed by it, not just by kind of spitting out the words, but by reflecting on them. And being transformed by their implications in our lives. I mean, you know, letting the spirit move through these words in our lives. So I think we need to go back and reflect on it. When I said earlier, it sort of becomes strange again. So I want to say this, so that it will shake us up a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. That it will form us as, you know, somebody the father said, not just to be called Christians, but to actually be Christians, and when the prayer is truly prayed and lived, when we reflect upon it in, in God's spirit, this is what will happen.
0: Yeah, I, I'm jumping ahead into the questions I gave you a little bit, but that this flipping the page to the conclusion, and you have the it's an itinerary for the Christian life, and mm. there's a sub. First of all, those of you who are listening personally, you should get the book for that. Little section (laughs) because while all the mysteries are wonderful to because they unpack it, it's just it was really delightful because I got there and I was like, Oh, this makes sense to me in a really practical sense. What you're saying right now is that the prayer both lays out the map but also sort of walks with me through this journey of the Christian life and. That's for me, that came alive a lot because there was, that's been my experience with it. There have been different parts of the prayer that at different stages in life have lit up, so to speak, become strange. So anyway, maybe we can come back to that. But that, that little, I just wanted to say thank you for that part. That was so cool to me to open that up and be like, I was, I'll be honest, I was a little frustrated. I was like, you should have put this at the beginning of the book for somebody like me. <laughs> Though I understand why you did well, it the way you did.
1: <laughs> I gotta get somebody to read it to the end. That's so
0: <laughs> like. Fair enough. But then what you were, so I guess keeping on track a little bit here, The. why is it important to reflect on these things more deeply? I'd love to ask, and making it strange, I wanna go to that first mystery. I think that's the one that, so many of us we just say our father who art in heaven and we don't pause to recognize the strangeness of that line Mm -hmm. what we are praying is really quite scary i think in some ways to to pause and reflect on what that means so the the mystery that you title is how can a human how can human beings call god father so, can you talk about that a little bit? What's that mystery means? And
1: sure, sure. You no, know, it's when in calling God Father. Of course, what's interesting about this is sometimes we forget. If we go to the Old Testament, we do see or read times when the Lord is referred to as Father. We can look at Isaiah chapter sixty-four, eight to nine, for example. Oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our Potter. Right, So there are references there. We also see it in Jewish prayers of the time. But Jesus' use of the Father in reference to his Father, there's something unique to this in the New Testament, and we need to become cognizant of that. I mean, because it's not just in the Lord's Prayer that we find this. We have to look at all of the scriptures. And this is something I, the fathers of the church, you know, they're not like I, so much kind of modern exegesis. is just kind of like, breaking it down to these micro little pieces. The scriptures have to be read with the scriptures as a whole. And so they're always looking at it from the fullness. But in that regard, for instance, in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus refers to my father or the father 26 times. He refers to your father as in his disciples 18 times. And then you refers to our father only once. That's hmm. This is it. We're in this one prayer. And he does make this distinction. It's clear if we start looking at these different verses, when he's talking about my father or the father, I mean, he, only he alone can say my father as, you know, this unique relationship as the son that's divine, right? Your father, we can say that, but notice it's always plural. We, none of us can make an individual claim on this, right? Mm. Or we can pray it as our father in this way, right? But we are, we can refer to God, as call God father as not simply by, we can't do it by nature. We can mm. only do it by gift. And this mm. is what we see emerge in the father's reflection on this one portion here because they say they begin by saying look when we call God our father I mean we're sinners right uh we're sinners and if we make such a claim not only are we not worthy but you know that old not that they use it but like father like son I mean I'm dragging down God down to like I'm saying I'm saying God's a sinner right so not only am I unworthy to say this, but I'm also, in a way, saying something that is near blasphemy here by, by dragging God down to this. So what allows us to say this? I mean, besides, obviously, Jesus telling us to do so. And the key for them, I mean, there's a number of things, but I think so the key for them is the idea of divine adoption, mm-hmm. that is, which is pure divine gift. I mean, again, they go to the scriptures themselves. We can look at, for example, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, right? It's a beautiful chiasm, by the way. I could, I could draw it here. I would do yeah. that. But, or John uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. But to all who received him who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. In other words, we have been through Christ, through his sacrifice upon the cross, through our baptism, we have been adopted into participation in the divine life. And it is through this that we may by pure gift, call God father, right? Mm. And uh, there's much more we could say, but just that should leave us like with our jaws hanging open right because again when we begin with the idea i am utterly unworthy to say this and even maybe even blasphemous to say this it is only through christ's gift it is only through my baptism that i may say so Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting i would point out one interesting thing with the with the fathers in all of this is this is why we see this debate among some of the fathers of the church. Can you pray the Our Father before you're baptized? Because you know, they have catechumens who are going through an extended period of preparation for their baptism. And the question is, can, they, can catechumens pray the Our Father before that? Well, I mean, logically, you might say, well, no. Uh, the Our Father is a prayer that can only be gifted to those after baptism. And some of the fathers of the church said this. Others were open to the idea that, for instance, Augustine would be one of them, that a catechumen with the intention to be baptized may anticipate in prayer the praying of the Our Father. It's it's an interesting question that I think we could still debate about now, but it does at least this debate give us a sense of how incredible these words are. How incredible the claim is! I, I would just add one other thing to it, also, just to think about, because there's many things you can think. But um, even after baptism, we pray this regularly. That whole f- "like father, like son" thing—it it, it also means how I live it, right? Mm. Because if I'm claiming God as my father, I mean, I, I want my father, my earthly father, to be proud of me. I want—I want to mm-hmm. reflect on his name. I want—I want people when they see me. You know, I want them to see, in a way, the image of my father, especially from all that he's given to me in my life. We should a hundredfold, a thousandfold, I mean, want to have that in our relationship with the heavenly father that we can claim by adoption that how we live out our Christian lives in following Christ the Son, we should be conscious that we're always in some way showing who our Father is to our brothers and sisters, Christians, but also to the world.
0: Yeah. I mean, that part, that's... next it leads us right into the next hallowed be thy name clause. I I guess I want to ask or comment on the, the point you were making about The debate about whether we can pray this before or after baptism, um, I think what strikes me there is that, I guess personally it strikes me how frequently I have not noticed what is actually being said. Just the fact that it could be debated, that it might be dangerous in some sense or, or blasphemous to pray this, I don't know. I don't know how long it's been that I before I've ever even thought about that, right? Like, there's something lost in my mind that we don't know that that's that's a question that should be asked <laughs> because of how quickly it ripples off my lips. But then, my goodness, mm-hmm. what am I saying about God if I <laughs> if if I'm calling Him my Father? <laughs> and and what am I saying about myself? So, I, I mean, that's not really a question I know, but. I guess I I love that that idea, and I want to bring that out. And you could pause on that for mm-hmm. quite a while and just simply pray that one that one line. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's also, I mean, even the fathers will just stop on the word "our," right? Yeah. Uh, we don't pray "my Father," even if I'm praying it alone. I don't pray "my Father" because this is. Pure gift, uh, I must always be conscious that this has been one, not just, yes, yes, for me, but also for my brothers and sisters. And so when we pray it, we should always be conscious of praying, even if I'm doing it alone, praying with the Christian community at large that have received this gift together as church. It's, you know, they, they go deep into this question. It, it, it can't be just my father and the rest of you are out there somewhere but rather a real consciousness of being part of the communion that has been formed for us in Christ is it again we could go on yeah. and on about just
0: yeah. our... is is there a in the in the shift like in the uniqueness of using this as Christ used it in the new testament and you said that it, god has been referred to as father in the old testament is there a is there an element of this that is, that is is bringing—because I'm thinking about the adoption thing—that part of the uniqueness is that it's bringing us closer to God. It's the participation, whereas prior to that, or in the Jewish prayers of the time, it's more like God is the creator, God is the provider, God is powerful and cares for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But is the uniqueness that we're now united in some important way that's more personal—
1: no, I, I, think, I think you're pointing directly to it, this whole question of divine adoption and what has been won for us in Christ, our baptism. I think really that that is really the, the distinction that we see here. Because also I would say the fact that it is grounded in the unique sonship of Christ, mm-hmm. right? He alone may claim the Father, right, as the Son, And it is in that unique relationship with the Father that he has as divine, that as the grounding of this, we we come to participate in that, right? Mm. And so this, I I mean, in the end, I guess, obviously, the the, the difference is going to be Christ Mm -hmm. and the adoptive relationship that he forms for us and wins for us in his life in the cross and gives to us in baptism. So yes, it is, it is different, but nonetheless, I think it is, and the fathers will do this, to go back, obviously, to the Old Testament, God's word, is to, we really do need to look at the, shall we say, the paternal relationship between God and the people of Israel and, and the covenant that's formed that will enlighten us to new depths in the prayer. It's not divorced from, as I said earlier, from any other part of scripture. All of this will contribute to us in, in, our, in our own reflection and seeing what it means for us. I mean, we could go to the kind of the, the covenant that is formed that we enter into in this participation in divine life. The Old Testament would help us a great deal into seeing the greater depths of that.
0: Hey there, Back Porchers. If you're like me, you sometimes feel like your prayers are tasks you're required to do, like you just have to give a report to God. Or sometimes, prayer can feel like we are hopelessly shouting into a dark, empty room. But prayer doesn't have to be like that. Instead, it can be a restful and restorative experience. The experience of being with God who delights in you and who delights being with you. If you'd like to experience prayer that way, then I want to personally invite you to join us on a contemplative prayer retreat in the beautiful Colorado mountains. Come away from the noise of the world and spend a few days surrounded by stunning natural beauty, abundant hospitality, and caring support. You'll learn to keep your heart alert and awake to the presence of God and His Word. This weekend will refresh your perspective on God and yourself, and you'll have an opportunity to recover the vitality of your relationship with God. We have two retreats you can pick from. The first is April 28th through May 1st, and the second is September 14th through the 17th. These retreats include everything you need. Comfy beds, delicious home-cooked meals, and a wraparound porch at 9,000 feet with views unlike anything you've seen before. But space is very limited, so don't wait. Visit signpostinorg slash events to sign up. Again, that's signpostinorg slash events. And now, back to the show. So this is like when you say a mystery that there's greater depths. I think this is a really helpful illustration, if I'm understanding it correctly, that it's Mm, when I pray our Father, it's not just that I need to be thinking about the adoption that I have in Christ or through Christ, but I can also meditate on God's fatherly providence for my daily needs, which come up later again. But that there's, there's actually many different truths about God that I could... Pause and meditate on in that particular. That I guess am I saying that rightly? Like that's that's what you mean by there's multiple layers of depth to these these mysteries.
1: No, absolutely. I I think I think you're right on it. And again, one of the ways to reflect on it, one of the ways they reflect on it, but one of the ways we should reflect on it is again in the context of the full scriptures. Right? They will point us like. fathers have a question, they will start looking at other passages and how that will, how they will connect and then how they will connect with my life and the life of the community that they're part of. These are allowing the depths of the prayer to unfold. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm, I guess I'm thinking like on the, you know, personal devotional level. It may be that today, or in this stage, what God brings out for me in praying our Father is that I'm a beloved son. And another day, it may be that I can have confidence or security or find comfort in his fatherly interest in me, his care for me, or or my broader life. And I think the reason this is interesting to me in this context, there's a little bit of an apologetic I feel like I'm doing to some of, for some of my listeners. I'm just sort of thinking about some of the people I know that, like the objection to praying the Lord's Prayer from some branches of Christianity is that it's just wrote, it's just words. I need to make, I need to pray my own words, right? I shouldn't just be repeating words. Whereas my experience is exactly the opposite. Like, certainly I pray my own words sometimes, but the depth of just the idea that I can call God father hits on so many different levels of my life at so many different times that I almost want to make this little apologetic of like, you don't, you don't need to go beyond it. You can dig into these, you can dig into these words and how they interact with scripture and interweave with scripture for a really long time.
1: Oh, yeah, for a really long a lifetime. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think yeah. I think that's I think that's beautifully said. I mean, yes, we, we do want to speak with, with God in our own words, but I mean, I think Jesus gives us these words as shall we say a, a way to begin that conversation with God, a way mm-hmm. to add, to speak with God, to a way to make those connections. And also, I would, you know, what you were saying there was really beautiful, I think, uh, at different times in our lives, these words are going to speak in different ways. I mean, sometimes I, I really do need to know I'm, I'm a beloved child of God. I mean, it's just, they're just moments where you, I need that. Or even when things seem bleak in my community, in the world, to know that God's fatherly providence is present in my life. I mean, it's going to speak to me in different ways. But sometimes also, I think having the Lord's prayer, the, the reality is sometimes, we, you know, we, we want to pray. We need to pray. And for various reasons, we're just plain exhausted and we need something. I mean, I can't find it. I can't find the words that to, to, to express it. And this prayer has been gifted to us for those moments as well. Just I, I don't have to, I can speak his words, right? I yeah. had let his words speak for me. And I, I think Jesus shows us this himself. And, you know, when, whenever he cites scripture, he's saying, here you go. It's like, it's here. If you can't find the words, you know, take, you know, take these words and it's, they will be, they're my words, but they're yours. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like uh, an analogy I've used before. And I'm sure I stole this from somebody, but that it's like, It's like baby talk. It's how do babies learn to speak? They learn by imitating their parents at first. You know, they don't really know what they're saying. They're just sort of saying the words. And over time, those words become meaningful. And then you're able to put your own words together. And it's it's such a comfort in talking to God that I have. I don't need to even really understand them at first. I can just recite them and they become meaningful. And then I can understand them. And, you know, it's so much more depth, more depth to that than a pattern of prayer. I don't need to figure out some pattern. I can just learn from the master how to speak and, and then we speak. I find that really comforting.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, we need it. God knows we need it and God gave it to us. So yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Can I jump to uh, jumping ahead in the prayer a lot? I'd love to just sit here and pick your brain about every one of the petitions, but I know we don't have time for that. I'd like to jump to the the 6th mystery. Why should we seek bread? The question is as you put it, what is what exactly is the object of this request? Is it actual bread or is bread a symbol for something spiritual? And I honestly had never really thought about this fact that this petition these are there's like 15 questions here, so you'll be able to go however you want to with this. But as I was reading, I had never noticed That this petition, give us this day our daily bread, seems to directly contradict Jesus's own command not to worry about Mm. what we will eat or drink. So I guess there's a couple questions there. What is the object of this request? And then maybe you could start with just that. It seems to contradict Jesus's own command. What do we do with that?
1: Right. No, and I think this is what you pointed out. There is a great example of how they were reflecting on this on the words of the prayer. Because yes, they they are reflecting on it with their knowledge of the scriptures, and they say, "Hey, what is what's this? It seems to conflict." Right. Now, of course, bread. We could we could do a wonderful study of bread in the scriptures, from manna in the desert on up and uh it's meaning as a sign of god's love god's providence god's care and when the fathers of the church look at the question of bread i mean i would point out perhaps two directions that they go in i mean one would they would say is that really what's being said here is bread is kind of the basic element of sustenance in our lives right in other words it's a petition that is actually formative for us that we should not be seeking uh, superfluous things uh, in our lives but rather we should be seeking that which truly nourishes us limiting limiting ourselves I mean this is on the one hand a practical implication right I mean I'm- Against greed, uh, consumerism, and all these things, right? That take me away from this dependence on God. But really, coming back to really, what are the essential things that I need in life to to strip myself of those distractions?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah I want to pause you there really quick because that was again. This is probably just me, but thinking of the petition, give me, you know, give us this day our daily bread. I think often I have missed. That not only is that a request lord i need sustenance but it's also an act of surrender right like i had what you're saying right now i i had missed this idea that it was me saying lord i will give me what i need and i'll be satisfied with it it's an act of saying i will be satisfied with my daily bread i i will not ask because i shouldn't be asking to win the lottery right. I, I just to bring that out is so so important because so much of this prayer has that double move of I am asking for something, but in the same moment, I'm also surrendering to God's Mm -hmm. giving what is right. Not, not what I think is right.
1: No, that's, that's beautifully said. Yeah. I mean, again, you can see them and you'll see this in their commentaries reflecting on this in the light of the manna, for instance, what happens if you try to take more than your daily portion? Well, it's going to, it's going to rot, right? Or our soul is going to rot, right? So they see this in, it's not so much conflicting with, it's not conflicting with our Lord's words, obviously not. They say that, well, that's a given, but like, how do we unpack this? And this is one way that they approach it, that it has this implication for our life. It is an act of surrender, as you said, and that also has, shall we say, practical implications for how we follow the Lord, Right. And I think another way that they look at this as well. I mean, we could go on and on about the one of the most difficult words in the scriptures. This epiousios. It's a Greek word that modifies bread in both versions. And epiousios, it, it we're not. Sh- it's difficult to say what it means. Uh, even mm-hmm. native Greek speakers weren't sure what it meant. It can be a combination perhaps of, well, certainly a combination of the preposition epi, upon, or toward, or for. And then from there, it can be perhaps with the verb to be, or it could be with the verb to go or come. It, it can be translated in a variety of ways, the bread to come, the bread for tomorrow, or even the super essential bread, the bread that is for the spirit. However Mm. it's translated, when it becomes applied to this word or however it's understood, I mean, the fathers also could see this as pointing to a spiritual sense. Mm. And for instance, some of them will interpret this as a request or prayer for the gift of God's wisdom or the gift of the spirit. That's what we're really asking for here. So this, this super essential bread, this bread for tomorrow is a prayer for the gift of God's spirit in our lives, the gift of God's wisdom. You know, they will go back even and say, it is a request for the gift of Christ's very life in ourselves, going back to John, going to John, John's bread of life discourse in chapter six, right? They make, That seems like a clear connection that they can go to there, right? So it can have both these, yes, a kind of material sense of surrender and with practical implications, but they can also say it is a quest for a spiritual bread or nourishment that could be God's wisdom, God's spirit in our lives. It, it can be both, mm-hmm. right? I mean, those are, that's, that's the, the power of God's word, it can be pointing us in both ways, informing us in both ways.
0: And if I'm understanding right, is is that the resolution of the seeming contradiction? So Jesus tells us, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink. Mm-hmm. The resolution is something like, one, this is an act of surrender on a practical level. Right. Two, this is, this is a request for, at the same time, it can also be a request for the truer subst- sustenance I need, which is the Holy Spirit. Am I understanding right. that right?
1: That's well said. No, I think I think, I think you're understanding it very well. Yeah. I think so as a result they don't see this as conflicting with Christ's words, but rather it is showing us, perhaps we could say, the personal, communal, spiritual implications of when mm. we make this act of surrender and in doing so when we make that act of surrender we are open to receiving gift. We're open to receiving really the gift that God wants to give us, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit sharing in God's very life.
0: Mm. It's almost like if we go to that passage where Jesus is talking about anxiety and saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Does your father not know that you need these things? It's almost like what I'm hearing is, this is the prayer that immediately could follow. <laughs> like, sure. yes, yeah. in other words, when I hear Jesus telling me not to worry, the way I enact not worrying is by praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Mm-hmm. That's praying, you know, from the heart, so to speak, meaning it, whatever that that's something maybe we could talk about, but there's no conflict at all because precisely the prayer is the act. It's following Jesus' command. When I pray it, mm-hmm. I am doing that. I am giving myself to God and saying, You provide what I really need. Right.
1: You're praying it yeah. and you're living it.
0: Yeah. That that to me is the connection people who have listened to the podcast before or know me know that I this is where I get really excited of just on a very personal level realizing this, this whole podcast have the has the feeling of like personal confession to me. Like everybody gets to know how dumb I was before. <laughs> but just... Don't, the, don't
1: sound that way to me, but...
0: <laughs> well, it's just that the... For so much of my life, the disconnect was... I prayed, I talked to God, I said things. But that's all it was. It was just words, right? I was just saying. Whereas now... I really, I, I don't, I, I do not have words for it, but I have a very deep sense of what it means to at the same time say, Lord, give me my daily bread. And also, whatever the internal movement is that I know what it feels like but can't describe, that is saying, and your will be done to use another part of the prayer but and you you mm-hmm. are your whatever you however you decide to answer this amen mm-hmm. that no. that act surrender well, surrenders sir. yeah anyway prayer to being both of those things not just words but actually this internal movement Whew. Mm-hmm. i get really excited oh, yes, about
1: it's, that it's, <laughs> i i i share your excitement i mean that's it's <laughs> it's, it's yeah and and the thing is it's it's we come back to that we could come back to this every day and be moved and and informed by this in the in the the holy spirit that's the incredible gift that it is
0: yeah yeah so that that leads me and then to the kind of one of my final questions very much of the same point here which is i do still find myself kind of just running through the prayer i'll just you know there it is i said it not always taking the time to meditate on it or contemplate on it. Yeah. What, what kind of practical advice do you have for me, for those of us who would like to get more out of it, to be more involved with it? Like what's, what's your practical advice?
1: Well, I mean, I'd say a few things. I mean, first of all, as I was saying earlier, sometimes in our, our, simple human exhaustion sometimes we just that's that's what's going to be we're going to pray just the words and that's why we've been gifted to that as you said earlier it's the child we're taking what the gift that we received and and you know god god loves us for that he's you know but at the same time yes i mean we we, we, we can and should deepen our response and experience to the prayer through with through prayer and through reflection I I would maybe suggest a few things. I mean, the first thing is, as you pray the prayer in conversation with God, as the fathers of the church did, don't be afraid to ask questions, right? You know, it's like, you know, wow. I mean, why am I saying our father? What is it? You know, I mean, you know, you saw some of the problems of it, like, you know, thy will be done. Well, is there ever a time when your will isn't done? Why? I mean, this, of course not. Then why am I asking for this? You know, I I mean, these are things that should like, you know this is why am I asking for this? Uh, so I mean these things don't we shouldn't be afraid to ask questions of the prayer itself or of, or how it applies to our own lives because question asking, I think if I, if we go back to your idea of the child again, I mean you know, I think someone said like one of the earliest words a child learns is why, 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 why and so yeah. but that's okay. I mean that gets that gets us speaking and learning, and so one of the things I would encourage is to, in our conversation with, with God and with this prayer is to, is to ask the questions and reflect on them in, in God's presence, which leads to the other thing I, I would encourage. The second thing would be to pray the prayer in the light of the scriptures as a whole, right? To make the connections, the fathers allow the scriptures to interpret the scriptures, and sometimes when, you know, what we're, we're not conscious of is the Our Father, you know, because we pulled it out as a unit, is in mm-hmm. fact living within God's Word, and therefore it will open up to us in incredible ways when we start making these connections. I and mean, we just saw it earlier, as soon as you go to Galatians, you suddenly like divine adoption, oh yeah, you know, John, yeah. oh yeah, and then all this this starts opening up for us, so to pray it in the light of the Scriptures... And then uh, the other thing I would encourage, just because what we've been talking about, is there are these marvelous commentaries uh, by the Fathers of the Church. You know, Someone sent, once said, what distinguishes the Fathers of the Church as commentators is that they do this on their knees. When they are commenting on the Scriptures, they're not just, yeah, I mean, great. I mean, linguistic, cultural analysis, all these things are good, and we've borne a lot of fruit from it. But... If it's not done on the knees, if it's not done in, with a sense mm-hmm. of uh, this is God's inspired word, then mm-hmm. we might as well be reading, you know, the Iliad, the Odyssey, or what have you, right? Mm-hmm. Great works, lots mm-hmm. of learnings we can learn, but it's not, it's not, this, it's not what it should be. And so the fathers, to read them, I would just encourage people to go to look at some of those resources from Cyprian to Augustine to uh, Gregor of Nyssa or, or so many of the others. They are wonderful prayer companions, I would say. Uh, mm. And they're our brothers in Christ from the earliest days of the church, but they continue to inspire us today. So those mm. would be a few things I'd encourage
0: people to do. Yeah that's very helpful I the, the idea of prayer companion mm. I, I hadn't thought in that term but I really love that idea that to read Augustine's letter to proba which actually is really short for those of yeah. you who are listening it's this is not a you're not you know you're not getting involved in a, a giant 300 page historical document but that that to read along with Augustine as he prays this prayer is kind of what's mm. what's going on there which is just really fantastic yeah and then I just I love the quote, you know, you said at the top there, but that Cyprian says that this is the compendium of heavenly doctrine. One of the things that I've done recently is started to kind of make connections between different petitions in the Lord's Prayer and the Psalms and finding Mm -hmm. different Psalms that kind of fit the theme. And it's, boy, that's incredible what pops out when you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, I, there are a lot more words that can be said (laughs) Mm -hmm. surrounding this idea because of what's in the Psalms. And that's just one place that we can go, but thank you so much for that. I don't want to take too much of your time, but I want to toss my last question at you if you have time, which is just, is there some other question I should have asked? Is there (laughs) something that you'd like to be able to say that I, I should have been thinking about?
1: I mean, I, yeah, I, You've provided some wonderful questions and some it's just been a great conversation with you. So, uh, I mean, my my final remark would be just to to thank you for letting me come and sit on the porch with you, I guess is the idea. (laughs) It's too cold out to sit on the porch. We're we're both fine. But no, I think really... to to talk about the lord's prayer even in a conversation like this i mean i'm even walking away from this with a kind of renewal of the prayer and its implications in my life just by having this conversation with you yeah. And so you know i i hope that i hope that others will maybe talk about the prayer among themselves and and how it's been, you know impacted their lives and how it how it can unfold yeah yeah
0: well thank you yeah Thank you very much. Um, Listeners, thanks for joining us on the back porch, and may the grace of Christ go with you wherever the Lord takes you. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Signpost a nonprofit Christian ministry dedicated to helping people connect with God and find direction. We offer spiritual direction, retreats, and lots of other resources like this podcast. Please visit us at signpostin.org to learn more. We especially want to thank our generous donors who support our work and keep this podcast going. If you've benefited from something you've heard on this show, please consider supporting us by making a tax-deductible gift at signpostin.org donate. That's signpostin.org donate. And thank you.